Athletic Brewing. I cracked open an Upside Dawn Golden Athletic Brew. And let me say this. No matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor? It's athletic. Award-winning styles? It's athletic. Huge variety? It's athletic. Fit for all times. That's a registered trademark, guys. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere, without ever slowing down your summer. Beach days, music festivals, swim meets, camping, late nights, early mornings, literally wherever summer takes you. And here's the best part to me, zero hangovers the next day. Mm -hmm. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer or brew you need to know. Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. Join us this Saturday for an all-new episode of The Athletic NBA Show. Saturday Slam and Jam, hosted by me, Andrew Schlecht. I'll be joined by my co-hosts Alex Spears and many of the athletic beat writers that you know and love. We will recap the week of the NBA, play some NBA trivia, and just overall talk about the league that we love most. So while you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard or just sipping your coffee on Saturday morning, listen to Saturday Slam and Jam on the Athletic MBA show. Welcome to the Athletic MBA show Monday through Friday on the Athletic Podcast Network. Coming up on today's show, Katie Heindel comes and hangs out. We're going to talk about empathy in this weird season and point guard identity. Yes, Kyle Lowry talk. This is Nerdish She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo DeKeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Partnow. Hello and welcome to the Friday Athletic NBA Show. And that means it's Nerdish She Wrote. I'm Dave Dufour. Seth and Mo are here as they are each and every week. And I don't know if people have ever been this pumped for a guest. I also don't normally tell people when we're going to have a guest on. Uh, my good friend, Katie Heindel, who you know from Basketball Feelings, the the best basketball newsletter and Dishes and Dimes podcast, is here. Hi, Katie. Hi. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. we got somebody yeah. to well, this is over joint here a little bit. Somebody <laughs> that, that brings this level up uh, another notch. It's been hard, Katie, well, carrying the load for me. It's been tough. <laughs> It's all, it's been all you, well, it's, <laughs> it's Dave, it's Dave and three people with credibility. That's, that's really what we're at right now. It's the new name um, of the show. So, uh, yeah. So how is everything? Uh, odd season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Odd season. Especially yeah. for the Tampa Raptors. Yeah. That's been pretty strange. Uh, like I gotta be honest. It's like been a bit of an arm's length season for me, you know? And I think like trying to find things to kind of, like lure my way back into basketball with almost um there are flashes here and there but then you know this kind of overarching weirdness of everything always manages to creep back in which i think the weirdness is more an awareness that's not such a bad thing but yeah we'll get to that (laughs) there's just a certain like there's a, a a surreal feeling about every single thing that happens Mm -hmm. everything Mm -hmm. it's it's just weird in general I think we've we've talked before about this. It's it's the attempt to present the game in a way that's familiar just exacerbates their weirdness. Like the 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 bubble was just so obviously different that you kind of accepted it, but we're I mean, you know, we're in the uncanny valley with, you know, the 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 in-game inner uh, like uh activations taking place in an empty arena with everyone wearing face masks. It's just like this looks like but not at all and this is weird. It's like the going through the motions thing. Yeah, exactly. That that I keep getting stuck on. And it's kind of the most disorienting thing because I feel like in a lot of ways the league thinks it needs to go through the motions. But in doing so, they sort of seem like they're several steps behind. I mean, look, there, there's financial motivation, mm-hmm. right, for everybody. 
And, and, you know, that's the world we live in. And I think as long as we start there and we know that and we understand that, that's why they're back. I, I, I honestly believe that if they if they weren't going to lose money, that they wouldn't be playing right now. I do think that. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of the players for sure. That's I think that's across all sports. I think that's something that the, the, the money is what drives them in that sense, you know, and I it's. It's the way it works, actually, in a lot of these industries. I don't think we'd have restaurant workers, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that they're getting paid, right? Like it's it's it's, and they need the the the, the money and things like that. The league needs the money, and the the players need to keep it going and and things like that. I mean, it's unfortunate in our society that that's where we're at, but this is what it is. So I mean, it's not a surprise, and we I think we all kind of knew going into this year it was going to be a weird year, right? Like. I'm not out here saying let's toss out everything that happens in this season doesn't count, but we also knew there was going to be just weird all around the whole way through the end. So I don't, I'm not, um, I don't know what else to say after that. I, I just kind of, I'm just rolling uh, no, with it. But that's, I, that's, I think that that like, even the, at the end there where you're like, I don't even know what to say. I completely agree. I feel the almost the exact same way. And I, I've, we talked about this a little bit. There's no through line, like the plot, of the season. Can anybody tell me what the story is? The story is just that it's weird. Nobody's in the lineup. You know, half the time we get, we get a big game. And I mean, Utah versus the Clippers is the first time that there was no missing marquee player. You know, Utah plays the jazz. There's no Anthony Davis. This compressed schedule is, is obviously wreaking havoc on a lot of guys. I mean, there, there are players that look out of shape two months into the season. And, and part of that might be fatigue, Part of that could just be lack of training and like actual, you know, getting themselves physically ready. Uh, guys also still working themselves in the shape. It, it is an odd year, I think, from that perspective. Yeah. And, but you know, the other thing too, though, about like marquee players missing games and things like that. And I know I'm going to sound like an asshole here, but this is something that happens every year. Don't shake your Seth shaking his head in there like, like he's shocked that I sounded like a prick there for a moment. But, you know, um, the, the the whole I mean it happens every year we always have marquee games where somebody misses and and things like that and stuff it's just a little bit different now because it's like oh wow it's it's COVID protocols and now we don't know how long this person's going to be out there's no timetable in that sense you know like Drew Holiday you know misses a bunch of games and the Bucks falter right and it's like this is the kind of stuff this is what makes this year so unprecedented but like in the sense of really impacting the games the way I'm looking at it. And again, insensitive Mo here, but this is the way it is. It's just like, it's just injuries to me. It's just like, okay, this is injuries. I'm hoping everybody's going to be fine in the long run, but this is the way the season goes in that sense. The bigger challenge is just not having the practice time. Mm -hmm. I think like the permeating moment for me um, and maybe what is like begrudgingly the through line. And this is why I think it keeps feeling so disrupted is because the NBA is actively trying to push against it. But like, when you started to see COVID-19 creeping up in like the injury reports. So it's like so-and-so knee, so-and-so groin. And then it's just like, you know, four lines of like COVID-19. And then when that normalized to a degree, uh, and then it's like games are postponed. Okay. The fact that they have like a two part schedule to begin with, they obviously knew it was going to be a reality. Um, And then I think the disruptive feeling is because obviously the league knows that that's happening, but they don't want to lean on that as being the main storyline. So a lot of these like other storylines that they keep trying to push or like we keep trying to pick up is like, whether it's just like fans or media, I just feel like the same kind of heart and like fulfillment is not there because you keep getting dragged back to the the harsher overarching reality. So on this show, we talk often about coaching. I mean, and the ins and outs and and some of the important parts that are just kind of unseen. Empathy is an essential tool for a coach. Emotional intelligence. It's one of the reasons why people thought Steve Nash might actually have like be very, very good as an NBA head coach right away because it was the thing he was known for as a player. Now I'd argue being a great player with high emotional intelligence is different than being a coach that way. Right? Like when you're a player, you're one of the guys when you're a coach, there has to be a delineation. I, I think we're, we might see that learning curve over the course of the rest of the season as they get healthy and, and start to actually turn into a real team. But we talk about this a lot, and it's very easy, especially in this year where you have 10 games a night, so many nights, to just lose 
sight of the fact that these are human beings who are also going through all this stuff, but also in front of us on television. And I wonder if when we're saying this season doesn't really count and it does, it really doesn't like, let's be honest. I, I can't compare this to previous seasons. I don't think it's going to do me much good in the future to look back on, you know, very, very little of this I think will carry over in any way that's meaningful. And I have to stop myself a lot from losing sight of the fact that it is a weird year. And these guys are, are in the midst of the weird season. Like they actually have to play it day in and day out. I'm surprised we haven't seen more instances like the Draymond Green situation was about a mm-hmm. week ago. Um, mm-hmm. Just, I, you know, I, I'm here with two kids and I feel at the end of my rope quite frequently. And I can only imagine, like, this is a, this is a high kind of emotional demand job that, that these, these players and coaches have to begin with. And then you're adding this just level of dislocation and external stress on it. And I'm just, I'm surprised we haven't seen like, you know, ejections and, and like, has there been a single like scuffle of note all year. And I'm, I'm really surprised that, that we haven't just seen that kind of, of, of people kind of grinding up against each other in that way. Um, and, and I, and I, I don't know if that's it, like why that is, but it, 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 it again, it's, it, I would have thought I would, we would have seen more just like frustration boiling over kind of moments. Well, you know, I thought the bubble was actually pretty good about that. Like it, the intensity was turned up so much. But even there, I, like you had the Porzingis Morris dust up and I can't really think of any off the top of my head. I, I also usually just forget about those right after they happen. Because uh, nothing ever happens. happens. Nothing happens yeah. when those things happen. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's a lot of yeah. nothing. It's a lot of fakeness yeah. uh, in that stuff. But to, to right. kind of go back to Seth's point, though, I'm actually not surprised. And it's really because it's all about compartmentalization. And I hope to God I said that correctly. It's very hard when I you use did. big words. Um, the 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 idea of it is like this is something you do the entire time in a regular season. You know, a lot of these guys use this time as getting away from their lives and focusing on that stuff and, and, and locking in. So I'm not too surprised Seth, that we haven't had a lot of that just because this is for them almost the closest thing to normalcy for them, right? Their job is playing basketball in the normal situation, and this is them doing normal basketball stuff. Does it look different? Absolutely. Does it feel weird? Completely. Your coach is wearing a mask. He has to pull it down to call out a play. It's awkward, you know, and all that stuff. But there's a little bit level of normalcy, and I think the guys are doing a good job of car Damn, almost said it good the second time and just failed. Um, but just doing a good job of kind of keeping in their 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 mindset in that sense. There's a lot of other challenges. I think it gets tougher when they're on the road. I think it's when you can't go out and you're stuck in the hotel room or and things like that. And then there's also cities where even in the pre-pandemic, you just didn't go out because you know, what are you going to do in Sacramento? Uh, it's, it's those kinds of things. So it's Mo to kill. <laughs> Yeah, come at me, Zach. Come at kill. me, Sacramento. Yeah. Come at me. Yeah. Come at me. I'm from LA. Anytime. Drive on down. Y'all stay here. We won't be living up there. I think I think that's a good point that you're making. And, and you know, Katie, you write about some of the most interesting stuff, right? You have a way of I don't know if they find you or you find them, but you find the guys with weird ticks or I mean, look, the Steven Adams worm farm <laughs> is I mean, who, Katie, you're the only person that could have written about this. Yeah, I mean. But I wonder, <laughs> oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, thinking, I was upset when, when we talked about this earlier and you didn't think it was worth an entire episode. Yeah, well, okay, sorry, I'm not going to talk about worm farms for 45 minutes. But I do think that that, like, that worm farm, like, that's a healthy thing. He He is finding distractions that are not basketball. And it's just funny that, like, a worm farm offers him some sort of comfort. I just want Dave to say worm yeah. farm about a hundred more times. Worm yeah. farm. It's yeah, like ASMR like at this point <laughs> when, he says, yeah. when he says it. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, like, that was interesting because he was just like, Stephen Adams was just like, all I do is go to practice and then go back to my house. Or if we're on the road, I go to the hotel and then I go to the, an arena. And he said it was just starting to get to him. So I guess to be able to shift his focus onto something else, worms. Um, but to get into, like, I don't know, he was really in-depth into, like, the soil pH balance and, like, all all that kind of stuff. And to me, it makes sense with a cerebral man like Stephen Adams. but. I do think, like, just to what Mo and Seth were talking about, like, I do wonder if that kind of, like, these guys are such creatures of habit, and they they establish, like, a certain rhythm, and I think they have to, to be able to compartmentalize and to be able to just, like, have this sort of fluidity and, like, get in the zone. So I wonder if, in the first half of the season, there was a bit of a relief to kind of be back into the swing of things, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw this kind of tipping point or maybe more of a boiling over as things continue because like, it's not that the weirdness will go away, but certain elements of this new routine will sort of smooth out and there might be fatigue that sets in. There might be a certain amount of just like annoyance at like the protocols dragging on and on because like they're living in the same world as the rest of us in that sense. Like they see the backdrop. So, I mean, it is, I'm not surprised that things have kind of held together for this long, but I do wonder on sustainability. Yeah. Uh, and the second half of the season is is going to be interesting to watch. I mean, it always is anyway, because you start to see the attrition of the schedule mm-hmm. catching up to a lot of teams by then, too. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to touch on one thing, though, because this is my favorite thing about Katie is just the feelings, you know, and, and, and basketball <laughs> feelings in that sense. No, no. But like the 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 thing we kind of we haven't even touched too much on is just empathy. Right. And that's something that that really matters. And it's something that even before pandemic, like we just didn't allow in our guys like Joel Embiid got clowned for crying after losing game seven on a a buzzer beater. I mean, Rudy Gobert caring about the all-star game and and, and being honored by not only, you know, fans, but coaches around the league and and being upset about it. Listen, we can all say we would we would maybe handle it differently. But I have no idea what that really means to Rudy Gobert. I just have to take him at face value. I, no, but it's just like we want these guys to care so much about everything, and then as soon as they show, until they do, as, as soon as they care, we just start ripping them. And it's 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 interesting in that sense of just like the the empathy aspect that we kind of as 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 fans and media members to a degree don't allow these guys. We want it, but we don't want to see it. We want mm-hmm. you to go. Well, that's toxic toxic masculinity that like just permeates sports, right? Like yeah. you got to be a tough guy and a cool guy and you got to be all these things at once. And by the way, I mean, women too, women are guys. Uh, you got to be, you got to be tough. You got to be cool. You got to uh, have ice in your veins at every moment. Better not choke on a free throw when you're tired at the end of a game. I mean, there's a lot of that stuff, right? And it maybe this year we could just kind of go, eh, okay, he's not a choker. It's tough. There's there's a, there's another part that you're not really mentioning. It's that's like, and if stuff goes bad, you're not allowed to feel bad because that's what the money's for. Mm-hmm. And right. that's you know that like that is the excuse to not like you know you okay you might be getting paid you know five ten fifteen million dollars a year if your job sucks to go to every day. It still sucks to go to. I mean, maybe like you have some more material comforts and there's like certain worries you don't have of someone who's, you know, working minimum wage. But that's like as a daily existence, especially in a profession like this where, where you're so essentialized to being a basketball player. Like think about what that does. It's just like, you know, you you uh, you know, if, if all you are is a basketball player and you're playing bad, it's not a big leap from I'm playing bad to I am bad. And I don't know how, I don't know how money makes that. Okay. Yes. Katie, fix but this it. is where the, no, 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 Katie, fix it all. <laughs> Empathy and basketball. Go. <laughs> I mean, wait, but this is where the best coaches, I mean, look, Greg Popovich and Mo, you talk about this all the time. Greg Popovich knows his players and cares about his players. And I mean, Mo, you've told me stories about Greg Popovich that were personal to you in the video room. And I think when you have leaders like that, you can withstand some of these bumps in the road that, that you can't. I, I, I Honestly, you look at what Utah's doing. I think Quinn Snyder is, is coaching the, the season of his life because he's not only got these guys playing so well, 
But look at that. Look at that locker room. They seem connected. You know, from from the Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell episode last year where it just seemed like that rift was not going to be solved to where they're at now. Well, and that and maybe they're just teammates, right? That rift existed before COVID too. I mean, you and I you and I absolutely. saw it in person. <laughs> yeah, where they were ignoring Rudy pretty much. And, and but they've bridged that gap and and I mean, I think it's it, to me he's the runaway coach of the year just for that because he got his two best players on the same page and you know, he's got these guys all pulling one rope, which I know I repeat myself saying that a lot, but it's true. Like, you're not winning a title unless that happens. The Lakers last year were a great example of that. I, I think this is where, you know, we we don't properly rate LeBron's leadership enough and the way that he builds chemistry with guys and, and the importance of that over the course of a long season. I think a, a good, like, microcosm example of this has been with the Warriors and, like, what's kind of happened to the Warriors. Because an, another thing that sort of fascinates me is, like, the, the tipping point between empathy and sympathy and where it changes and why. And I think the Warriors, you know, a, a franchise that was hated for so long for being so dynastic, uh, then like fell from grace. And I think there was first sympathy and people kind of right away, I think like boomeranged around and started to feel pretty bad for them, especially given what happened to Clay Thompson and just like everything they had to go through. And then to me, this year, even though my heart broke again when Clay got hurt, but the fact that he's now come back in like sideline reporting capacities and they generally just like, they seem to be having fun. Like they're not, there's not, not that much pressure. The pressure's kind of been alle- alleviated because like they're still, I guess, in a little bit of a stasis year. They're not bad. They're not playing badly. You still got Draymond. You still got Steph. Like Wiggins is playing good passable basketball and I think there's something to be said for like that pressure being off and they're a little bit out of the spotlight and now it's easier to feel empathy towards them also because of like I think Steve Kerr is such like a proponent of that and like that sort of teaching like that coaching methodology but yeah like they they're very interesting to me because I can't think of a team that was like as uniquely and severely hated for as long as them you know in modern NBA yeah and now they've come back and are just like I think people are just more excited to like see what's next for them I mean it's basketball joy that's Mm -hmm. the thing about the Warriors right like Steve Kerr talks about it a lot and it starts at the top but not just Steve Kerr like they get to watch they get to watch Steph Curry every night Mm -hmm. and I think that that helps because I mean I watch him and grin you know the guy has more fun than than almost any other superstar, I think. I mean, you rarely see it look like Steph Curry is stressing in a game. And it's so rare. And I think that everyone feeds off the energy of their leadership there. And, yeah, Draymond is – he's the drill sergeant. And they, they all have their role to play in that team. You don't have that structure in a lot of places. And, and it's important for long-term success, especially. You can have a one-off year where you might win something without those things. But if you want a dynasty or if you want sustained success, you need that leadership from the top. I think, you know, part of it, though, is, you know, just being smart as an organization. I mean, Katie knows it firsthand when you watch the Toronto Raptors as an organization. Just think about all the stuff they did going into the bubble, Right. The players walked into their room in the bubble and they had pictures of their family and things set up for them and, and, and things like that to kind of just make it home. just a small, small thing. Like they knew they understood it's going to be a difficult time and things like that. It's just having that empathy as an organization and, and the awareness as an organization to see that stuff and, and to understand like, hey, we got to make sure our guys are in a good place because when they're in a good place mentally, you're going to get good basketball out of them, right? And you need to try to encourage that environment as much as you can. And and that's really the, the hardest challenge because there's just so many ebb and flows, ups and downs in a season that is challenging. And I think that's something like the Raptors, I think, do a good job as an organization of just kind of taking care of their players, understanding them, seeing them, and, and hearing them and, and reacting to it. Is that something you can you can fake? Because you you're you're putting that in terms of like purely instrumental, like our guys will play better, or to have that actually be impactful, do you have to actually kind of care first? Because you know, thirty organizations talk about we're a first class organization, we do blah 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 blah. Um, but to really get it right like that, 
it's not just we're going to do everything first class. It's you have to – what would really make these guys feel good? And that be the first thought, not how can we get them to feel good so they play well. Yeah, you can't fake it. It's like a much deeper through line, right? And if you if it's good and like meaningful and I think true, then it's just, it's sustainable. Uh, and it's more of like a feeling throughout, like, sorry to be like, it's a feeling. But it is. It's a feeling no, I think that runs, yes. <laughs> that runs through just like years and years. And like to me, the Raptors are a good example of this just because like the identity, honestly, until this year, and I think it's just due to some of the like – backdrop things that they've had to go through uh situationally but like that's a thing that like players have shuffled and switched and i think that's one of the huge reasons why Kawhi could come in and be as effective as he was because like larry and demar Derozan built that franchise up into what it was is like kind of iconic there's a deep understanding of like what it means to play on that team fred van vliet pascal siakam chris boucher guys that have like come up through the developmental system flow so seamlessly into it and so I think like on the empathy side of things, it goes as far as like what's happening on the court, obviously. But if, if there isn't that kind of level of care off the court, I think you know, like Seth, to your point, it is kind of fake and it doesn't really last. And you see situations like what's happening in the, like with the Timberwolves or like what's happening with organizations that just change and churn year after year. Yeah, you know, the, the support staffs uh, mm-hmm. are kind of unsung. You see what the stuff that Phoenix did for their guys when they were in the bubble with the starting lineup intros. You can't fake that mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, the good organizations are doing a great job. And I hate to keep to even say the word, but like having good culture does matter for any organization. You know, I mean, the athletic has pretty good culture and it's, it makes it a good place to work. I, I enjoy it. Um, and, and we just. You know, I, 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 we survived a pandemic, uh, at least without sports. Um, we're not out of the pandemic yet. But a lot of companies weren't able to pull off what the athletic did. And I give them a lot of credit for that. And this is just my experience. It's the first company I've ever worked for in a pandemic. And I hope I never work for another company during a pandemic again. But but it, this stuff actually does matter to people because, you know, you, you, you're not going to be your best unless you have support, especially at the highest level. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Giorgio Armani Aqua Di Gio Parfum, a long-lasting and deeply intense men's fragrance that captures the powerful sensations of nature. The woody aquatic scent features notes of bergamot, clary sage, and patchouli, which create an intensity that is vibrant and aromic. Discover more at GiorgioArmaniBeauty.com. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
So you guys brought up the Raptors and uh, of course, and Katie, please make sure that um, Raptors fans direct all their hate to Mo. Um, But we have to talk about, we have to talk about the elephant in the room with the Raptors. What is their record right now without Kyle Lowry this season? I mean, it's not ideal. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's it's pretty good without Kyle Lowry. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily a good problem to have. I know, it's great that you've got a team that can lose its best player and you don't miss a beat. But at a certain point, it feels like they're kind of straddling a fence here. I mean, I'll tell you how I've been approaching this. And it's sort of two ways. It's that, one, the fact that he can be out and for the team to play like it has is a testament to Kyle Lowry as a leader uh, in the way that he has kind of made it his job to make sure that all those guys take pointers and tips and like have learned from him in such like a, I think like a full capacity that he cannot be there and they'll still function the way that they should. Uh, I also think there's something to be said for the fact that like whatever the next iteration of the Raptors is, I don't know that it can start until Kyle Lowry isn't there anymore, if that makes sense, because it will always be his team. But my heart (laughs) says, because I don't want to lose this guy, is that if you if you take if you take Lowry away and I I understand the argument of like, well, they were really good without him. Like, why do they even need him now? Uh, It's because Lowry is the Raptors only like he'll be the closest to someone like a LeBron James they ever have in that like he's still capable of like throwing the team on his back and winning a game, especially if it comes down to like a very long and exhausting playoff series. He's the only one that's able to do that to just kind of turn things around. And I think there's a reason they were playing so well through that stretch is because I think he's still extremely involved, whether he's watching tape and reviewing it with guys and telling them what he saw, he's never getting out of their heads. So if you lose him to another team, you also lose that kind of storied like friend, like knowledge of the franchise. I think they're almost there to be at a point where they can continue without him, but it wouldn't look the way it does now, even if he's not on the floor, if that makes sense. It's almost, yeah. the, it's almost I mean, the feelings kind of getting in the way it, of I mean, the actual, the actual, the, 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 the important basketball decisions. And that's something franchises have to wrestle with, but you make such a great point in the sense of, they can't move on to the next iteration of the Raptors until Kyle Lowry's gone, until they're able to, to close the, that chapter of the book. And it's going to have a happy ending. They've won a championship. They've, they were in the playoffs last year despite losing Kawhi Leonard and, and showing that it wasn't a fluke, that this is really a good team and they have a lot of talent. So it, it, it's interesting kind of moving on, but it's going to be challenging for the organization in terms of how they go about it you know, in terms of, uh, of if they move on from Kyle Lowry and make a trade this summer, or excuse me, the, at the deadline, or if they wait till the summer and, 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 and let him walk for free, it's, it's, it's going to be challenging for them because they're losing such a key part of their history of who they are. Well, and Seth, you know, that's the PR battle, right? You, you have to wrestle with the PR part of it and the basketball part of it. Do they get better? Potentially, if they move Kyle Lowry and try to fill some of the gaps they have, or or they get a you know younger assets looking forward for their younger core, or 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 should they just hang on to Kyle Lowry, bring him back, try to keep doing the same thing? This is kind of a, a challenge because it, there's it, you know it's easy to look and say oh well they're six and one without without uh, Kyle Lowry this year and okay is that is that you know, you get the you get the uh, the whole causation thing. Is that is that because, or did him being out kind of coincide with Pascal Siakam playing better? Like Pascal Siakam was a mess for whatever reason to start the year, um, and that that has that has normalized to some extent, and and so that's a big part of of why they are playing better as well. So that's you know, you have to from a basketball standpoint um, identify what you would be losing if, if you traded him and then also like navigate as, as Mo was saying, like navigate the, the, the sort of the historical and emotive and, and cultural aspect of, of what trading him might look like. And that's, you know, that, that's, that's why this is hard is, is those things aren't no matter how well, how you do the analysis or how well you do the analysis of each of those individual things, they aren't in the same units. So you can't just like weigh and, and, and like, well, that's the answer. It's easy. 
Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a challenge and, and, um, you know, I, it's hard to say what they should do almost because it's like what, what, you know, what we should do is wholly dependent on what the goal is and like the goal this year, the goal three years from now, the goal seven years from now. Um, and you know, that's those, those in and of themselves are interesting discussions and I'm, I'm probably talking myself in circles here, but it's, it's complicated. Right. Uh, I, I think that, you do have an identity issue here for the team. As long as Kyle Lowry is there, Katie, and this is your point that I stole from you. <laughs> okay. This is, we were texting about this and I'm just trying to set you up. I mean, the fans, but know the identity already, of that team, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the identity of the team, but the identity of the team is fully Kyle Lowry, which gets into a whole nother ball game because part of the, like handing the keys to, to the team to someone else means you're taking it away from Kyle Lowry. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that if he's in house? Mm -hmm. I don't know how you do that, Katie. I mean, the way that they've set it up now is like, I think Fred's almost there. I think like he, well, he stole the keys. (laughs) He stole the keys. He took the car and he's like literally jumping the grand Canyon right Mm -hmm. now. And, and that's, that's the, that's the disconnect here. But I think to like fully eclipse, right? Like to fully kind of take on the identity. I Like the interesting thing and what, what makes Lowry such like a phenomenal point guard and leader of the team is that his, I, his in, he is such an individualized player uh, in terms of his personality, the cerebral way that he plays basketball, that he, you can picture him any on like any number of other teams right now that could use him and he would fit in seamlessly. But I think that's to a larger point of like any amazing point guard. I think, I think of like Damian Lillard. I think of Chris Paul, like they have that weird, like they're kind of freaks, right? They are just like their own version of like perfect freaks. They are like, so they all are concerned with like different kinds of details to different levels, kind of neurotic, but they also have the ability to, because they have to, to be successful, completely absorb the team that they're playing on. So the catch 22 is like Larry will land on his feet anywhere. If he gets traded anywhere to like the, the like plethora of teams that could use him, he will be fine. He will play through it. He will take on that team like a sponge and make them better. But the Raptors will still have a Larry size hole because I don't think Fred Van Vliet is quite there yet in terms of like what his identity as that kind of role as a point guard, as a team leader will be, but maybe he doesn't get there until Larry leaves, which is perhaps the bittersweet thing because he can't fully step into that spot with Larry still taking it, like taking up all the space. No, I mean, that's the most important point is we don't know what kind of leader Fred Van Vliet's going to be mm-hmm. until he has the, the, the job to lead right now. It's still taking cues from, Kyle Lowry and things like that. And then Dave, when you were saying earlier that it's really kind of the, the, the PR side of whether trading him, there's a whole aspect of it. Like we talked about last week beyond the box score, you know, having Lowry set the culture, having Lowry as your leader, it actually takes pressure off of Nick nurse, you know, as a coach. And he's able to focus more on the basketball stuff because he doesn't have to worry about setting the culture or, or, or leadership or things like that. You know, it's, it's a different element. So when they, do move on from Lowry whenever that may be. It's an adjustment period. And it might not be all just Fred Van Vliet. Everybody's going to have to adjust down to all the players, down to the coaches. Pascal, C- I mean, excuse me, Nick Nurse is going to have to pick it up a little bit. His staff is going to have to change a little bit how they operate and how they approach guys. It's a whole learning process when you lose a guy that's been as institutional as Kyle Lowry has to the, the Raptors. Well, he's, he's like Tim Duncan for them, uh, a guy that – you know, you worked with and know well. I, and I think that, you know, he has a lot of the same qualities. If your best player is willing to, you know, dive after loose ball, and I know this sounds cliche, but diving after loose balls, even if it's not a good play, it sends a message. He, he screens for everyone. He tries to draw charges. And even though I hate him, it does signify something, right? Your best player is willing to get his hands dirty at any time. He is not too good to sweat. And I think that stuff matters so much and it doesn't grow on trees. You mentioned the the point guard freaks like Damian Lillard. 
Damian Lillard's of the same vein, you know, Chris Paul. I mean, and, and and it's, I don't know if you're born with it or if you'll learn it, but if you have it, you have it. And if you don't, you don't, and you can't fake it. It's as much about, this is, this is sort of, uh, this is, it's, it's a survivorship bias thing. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're 6'10 and athletic, you can, you can have, you know, any kind of personality and, and get there just because there's, there's relatively few to compete with if you're six nothing and you're going to be the best player on a team that's you are rising to the very highest 99.9999th percentile of 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 achievers and to get there yes there's talent but there's also just like the 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 mental whatever and that's i think what we're what you know, we're, we're sort of indexing on when we're talking about, you know, the, the kind of the literal, the little general point guard, like whether it's Kyle Lowry or Chris Paul or, or, or Damian Lillard is, um, anyone who reaches that, that status is going to have something like that because they had to. Yeah. I mean, trading a franchise icon seems like a, a lose, lose situation for the franchise. I mean, like even Russell Westbrook getting traded when he did from Oklahoma City, I still think uh, Oklahoma City fans, they seem resigned to the fact that it was just this is how the NBA works. But I know a lot of them that aren't as passionate about the team because fans want to root for more than just laundry. Ultimately, like they want to feel a connection to these guys. And Kyle Lowry is ubiquitous with the Toronto Raptors. Like, I mean, he is that team. And I. I man, I don't envy that that position for for the team itself because you know your job is to build a good team and look out for the team in the future and and but you also have to you know you're you're in a you have fans and you have to cater to them to a certain degree because you want them to like you. It's weird. What does a Kyle Lowry trade even look like? You know, I, that's what when I when I think about Kyle Lowry in potential trades, you know, I look at Philly and I'm like, I don't. What do they have? What do they have that Toronto would want? I mean, Maxi, I guess you know you get a young point guard with some potential. You gotta have a lot more than that, Katie. 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 What do you want for Kyle Lowry? You're a Raptors fan. Like, oh, what? That, that's a better let's, one. Let's, You've let's, thought about this way more than me. No, Dave. You just went on a whole rail. <laughs> it was yeah. there was a, it was an easy thing, Katie. What do I you mean, want? For I think Kyle about Lowry? it you, in like denial, in that I think. It's like, it's an uneven year. Like there isn't, there isn't, I'm kind of resigned to the fact that like, yeah, I get the team. He's your best player. You can't let him walk for nothing. But I also think to do right by someone like that, who has been so institutional, you want to send him where he wants to go to a degree. But like this year, if you're just being cold hearted and business about it, uh, Miami, like the Clippers, um, Philly, there's no one on those teams that right now would benefit Toronto. All right. Yeah. It's a hard, all, all the good teams don't have the assets, right? Mm-hmm. It's just hard to build a trade right now for them. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I think about it in that sense, you know, I look at it going like, I just don't know what the trade would look like, you know, for Kyle Lowry to send him to a contender to a team that he can, he can immediately impact where you go. As soon as he goes, they're like, all right, that's it. He's on the Clippers. I'm, Hey, they're 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 going to be on their way, you know. Raptors West, you know, on their way to the finals, and 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 I think you have that whole kind of scenario. I just don't know how they get there, you know, and and how they pull that off, and, and how complicated of a trade it will get to to become. But are you as are you ready to let it go? Like, is this? Let's just ask this question because we're getting feelings and things. This is you got <laughs> You're me into my feelings. For all this whole, whole 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 podcast. The the the. Are you ready to? Is this is this time to say all right? Let's you know, it's, it's, it's time to move on. Like what's the, the feel in that, in that sense? It's difficult because I think so much of the Raptors future identity was tied up in the honest sweepstakes. And like, those did not go the way that I guess they had anticipated them going. Um, they're in a little bit of a, like a locationary purgatory right now, mm-hmm. you know, like that is kind of messing sucks. with things. <laughs> and, it's in every year, even last year, even last year when it was like, yeah, Kawhi left, but it was still clear to me kind of like what the plan was and like what the future identity of the team looked like, what they were working toward. This is the first 
season, I can remember where I do not have a sense of what that is. And I think it's just because they haven't actually come down on like a hard decision. I think they're still kind of trying to wait. Like, can Siakam become a little bit less like spotty and everything that he does? Fred is like making a jump, but is it going to sustain? What's going to happen with Chris Boucher? Is OG Ananobi going to like sustain through the season? And I think a lot of those questions sort of have to be, if they can't be answered, then, you know, Masai Ujiri needs to make a decision, kind of just like a firm, hard line decision on it, because Larry's value is only going to go up, I think, like after the season, like whether or not he stays or not. But like, I just, no, I, I mean, short answer, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to see him go <laughs> because I would like for it to be worthwhile when he does. I mean, again, the, the contenders just don't, they don't have a way to really make it happen. And if, if he gets traded, that's where I, I like I Philly, obviously he works and, and probably makes them better and, and maybe even gets them into a finals. But I don't know how they make that work in a way that, that you have to pull in multiple teams. It's going to get complicated. Uh, but as we wrap up, we, we always like to look ahead. And uh, Katie, what are you looking at? in the next couple of weeks. Cause I know all stars coming up and I know you're pumped about a dunk contest under normal circumstances and probably not going to allow yourself to, you know, feel anything about this one, but all stars coming up and, and then the second half of the season. Yeah. I'm pretty mad. Uh, like I, I hate, I hate, it's just like a travesty to me to like relegate the dunk contest to uh halftime halftime. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm not in on All-Star this year. I think it's a dumb decision. I, I understand why they're doing it, but I don't know that I will be watching um, even the dunk contest. That said, I am working on kind of a series coming up to basically the year anniversary of the league sus- like being suspended because of the pandemic. Um, and a part of that, it, it's going to be a, probably a three-part series. Some of it has to do with like the psychological fallout of like turning to zoom for scrums like started in the bubble what did that mean for players uh especially around the social just like the social justice movements that were happening in the summer just like a super weird way to to talk to players and try to feel empathy and try and feel like any sense of connectivity um part of that too is like is there an uptick in injuries this season has there been an uptick in soft tissue injuries does that have to do with the truncated off season is that real is this an anomaly talk to a bunch of doctors talk to a bunch of ex-team doctors sports medicine people uh exoskeleton doctors uh which was very fun (laughs) so yeah like that'll be up on dime probably in a week and a half's time so you could look for that but i will be kind of looking at that more largely to just be like where are we from that part of last season where is the league have they kind of done a 180 and how do we feel about it yeah uh seth what do you got coming up so next Thursday and Friday, uh, myself along with uh, uh, Michael Lopez, who's head of analytics for uh, the NFL, um, Allison Lucan, who's a uh, wonderful uh, writer about the the Columbus uh, uh, Blue Jackets, one of the really the best in any sport, really, of, of telling a story, com- combining kind of uh, sports-specific knowledge and numerical analysis, and Megan Cheka, who is the CEO of Stathletes, which is a, a hockey data company, are putting on a, a, a little mini-conference um, called the Sports Ideas Symposium, where we're really trying to uh, get back to some of the roots of some of the earliest sports analytics conferences and really uh, um, bring discussion that can help people who are newer in the field or interested in the field uh, learn more about um, – you know, how it works, what some of the opportunities are. And um, it, you can, the website for that is sports-ideas.com. And it's next Thursday and Friday. We've got some great keynote speakers, including uh, Evan Wash from the NBA. Um, and, you know, join us on join us on Zoom there. So much. Is uh, Mo, uh, Mo, what, what do you have going on? I've seen this pro photo floating around. It was a great photo, actually. That was me at. It's a, a great it, it photo. Was, it was me at a wedding. I looked great, um, <laughs> <laughs> if I may say so myself. Uh, no, uh, by the time this airs, uh, the I did a webinar for Vio. Vio, gotta learn how to say things. Um, I did a, a webinar for them on how, the importance of film and how coaches can use film in development in 
strategizing for games and things like that. It's called Recording the Hardwood. You can find it on my my Twitter feed. Uh, just go check it out. It's it's for free and it's it's what everybody wants. More of Mo. Okay, I'll I'll, uh, I'll let the audience decide if that's what they want more no, of. I already know. Uh, Katie, I decided. They know. They know. Yeah. They want more of me. It's All okay. Right. <laughs> Katie, I, I'm so glad we got to do this. Uh, it's it's overdue, and uh, I'm sure we will be able to do it again. Thanks so much, guys. Dave, what are you looking fun. forward to? Oh, yeah. And nobody cares? Rest. <laughs> Rest. I, listen, guys. No, no empathy for I, Dave. I'm looking <laughs> – no, please don't. Uh, listen, I, I'm babysitting a puppy this weekend. Um, that's not going to so make people feel a, bad for you. No, 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 no. I've been getting tons of like puppy love for the last like day, so that's kind of cool. No, I, I honestly, I'm looking forward to rest. I want to, I want to take the All Star break and just decompress from the first half of the season and almost throw it out the window completely and start fresh after the All Star break with. Just about everything. I'm going to have to put new eyes on every single team as more guys start to become available. I mean, hopefully Jaron Jackson Jr. is coming back soon. So that makes Memphis, you know, like they've got some decisions to make there. That That's on my mind. So there's a lot going on. But for the next week, man, I'm thinking about two or three weeks from now. He's thinking about sleep. Yeah. Is no big deal. Like. I am. I'm going to sleep so hard. Uh, Katie, yeah, seriously, this was awesome. I'm so glad you got to make it. Uh, For Katie, for Seth and Mo, I'm Dave. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Nerdershoot. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.